people of Earth, and welcome to the very first episode of the ET and I podcast. This is the companion podcast to the ET and I blog. I'm your host, Bright Garlic, coming to you from the very warm and humid plains of central Victoria in Australia. It's Wednesday, the 10th of January, where it's currently 4:50 p.m., and we're recovering from what has been the third flood in the last two weeks. Some of you know me from the blog, ET and I, or the Something Monologues podcast, or the Dudes Maxim podcast, and of course, others do not. For those who don't, here's a little introduction to who I am. I'm just an ordinary human being in my mid-50s. I live on 60 acres with my 25-year-old son, Toa, and lots of wildlife, especially kangaroos and wallabies and birds. I have formal qualifications in applied science and social work and a background in microbiology, conservation, ecology and psychotherapy. I have an eclectic spirituality and I was a Buddhist for 15 years before leaving Buddhism and I taught meditation for 17 years. I guess I'm a pretty eclectic kind of person. I spend my days writing, making music, creating art, working with ideas, exploring the nature of the self, working with AI, enjoying the natural world, of course, hanging out with my son Toa, reading and learning about the world. I've also been living with the very rare renal carcinoid tumours, which I prefer not to call cancer because of all the baggage, and it's byproduct carcinoid syndrome for now 17 years, and learning how to get out of the way and allow myself to feel healed. My first conscious experience of ET contact that I remembered from the day it happened all the way up to now occurred in late 1991 in a place called Spring Gully in Bendigo, Victoria. At that stage, uh, I wasn't really sure what had happened. Later, I learned that I had had contact with beings from the Zeta Reticuli star system. Since then, I've continued to have a series of conscious encounters with ETs and other uh, encounters, I guess you'd say, that were less conscious. And I began to remember early on interactions with ETs that actually began in my infancy. I began learning about the ET subject, uh, I suppose it would have been about maybe 1989, 1990 through the Arnet and the various different user groups that were around back then. And of course, back then, those of you who went to university uh, back in the 80s, late 80s, 90s, would remember that we had uh, monochrome green screens and communication took a long time. You could... Uh, post a question and you'd have to wait until the very next day, 12 hours, 24 hours to get a response. I also started learning about the subject, I guess, through the books of Jacques Vallée and I had also read uh, Whitley Strieber's Communion, which I suppose triggered something in me. Uh, prior to that, I'd had many discussions with my friends throughout the mid to late 80s on the subject of UFOs and ETs and the UFOs that several of them had actually seen. And my mother had told me about uh, an experience that she had had 
of seeing uh, UFOs outside of the RAF base where my father worked and also having a friend who had an interaction, a face-to-face interaction with a being that floated horizontally above her. I first began sharing my experiences on a a site, I'm not sure if it still exists, it was called about.com, they had a UFO page there, and that would have been about 2000, uh, when I shared an experience I'd had in my bedroom uh, with my uh, ex-wife with what I then called the Brownies on the 26th of August 1997. And the brownies late I learned were the Telia. And I also shared uh, a little bit on my blog on opendiary.com. Later I started the Otherworldly Encounters blog, I think in 2008, and began sharing something about my experiences with uh, Balls of Light also uh, that year on YouTube. But I was still grappling, I guess, with... um, some of the nuances of the experience and making sense of it. So that early blog held a lot of that struggle for me. In 2012, I started sharing in earnest on YouTube regarding my ET experiences, and I got tired of that very, very quickly. It took a lot of effort, and there were a lot of hostilities coming in my direction, and I pulled the plug on that after 2016. In 2014, I set up uh, the ETNI blog, where I've continued to share some of my experiences. I, I guess I was sort of struggling to know what to share, and so I've always been very guarded about exactly what I should share, and so there are still many things that I haven't shared and and won't ever share, but I tried to share as much as I could, both through YouTube and through the blog. In 2014, I also set up the Something Monologues podcast, and I had no idea what it was about at first, but uh, I made 200 episodes of that, and um, in some of those I spoke about the ET subject. Before I proceed any further, I just want to make a comment about my experiences. I'm telling you about my experiences because I want to and I feel now is an urgent time for people to hear a different voice. And in telling you about my experiences, it's worth noting how I labelled what was happening. For many years, I looked at things through the popular labels, contactee, and experience in particular. But in recent years, I've stepped away from all those labels and I now see myself as someone who has relationships with ETs, some of which is under my control to some degree and some of which isn't. I guess you'd say that previously I shared things about my experiences and what I'd learned for many different reasons. There was never one clear reason for doing so. Initially, I had to express it to stay sane because I felt like I was going crazy and and losing my mind. Back in 2000, it was very confronting that I still didn't really understand what was happening. I think I was also seeking connection with others uh, who had had similar experiences. But in that regard, I guess you'd say I, I felt disappointed. Later I began to share because I felt what I had to share might be useful to others. 
And when I started ETNDI and the TSMs, I did so in part because I felt frustrated and agitated by all the rubbish that passed as genuine material in relation to the ET subject, and I wanted to offer some kind of antidote. And so now I'm starting this podcast primarily in the same vein to offer an antidote to the rubbish that has reached climactic proportions of stupidity. I mean, really it has, partly as a result of delusion, partly as a result of an inability to be able to think on people's part, partly because of bandwagoning, people jumping on bandwagons, and contagions of stupidity and ignorance. And of course, then there's been a lot of deliberate disinformation and obfuscation. I'm also doing it for the aforementioned reasons of being able to offer something useful to others. I don't profess to know everything about the subject of ETs and ET contact, but I believe I know enough to be able to reflect on things honestly and with some depth of knowledge and perhaps a little wisdom. As I said before, I'm just an ordinary man. I don't like the idea of experts. I don't call myself an expert. And I'm still learning about life and the best way to live. I loathe the somebodiness that comes with an unaware ego. There are a lot of somebodies in the world uh, deeply attached to their somebodiness. And in the past, I've had to pull myself down a little bit and keep my ego in check. I'm not sure that I was trying to feed my ego, but sometimes in trying to be heard, you overexert the ego. So the key here is self-awareness and regular self-reflection, and that's a daily practice I value greatly. The things I wish to share will not suit everyone, especially those who function from an us-and-them mentality, who believe in a hostile, dystopian universe where there is an ongoing battle between the forces of good and evil. Those kind of people won't like what I have to say at all, but hopefully other people will. I've been sharing now for, I think, about 24 years, and during that time all manner of things have happened. I've received death threats to myself and my loved ones. I've received hate mail and hate messages. I've been subject to ongoing physical and electronic surveillance and monitoring. I've received messages of gratitude and encouragement. I've received financial support when I've been struggling financially. People have told me how I've changed their life for the positive and the negative. I and uh, people I care about have been targeted in other ways. One person sent me a video camera and tried to hijack my sharing as some sort of director-producer, trying to kind of push me in a particular direction. My character has been attacked. People have argued with me about my point of view on many subjects. People have accused me of fabrication and of being delusional myself. One well-known celebrity in this field offered to support my son and I financially, although he used a a nom de plume, I knew who it was. I've also had countless conversations with my friends uh, on the subject of ETs and ET contact, my ex-wife Rachel, my son Toa, 
and of course the ETs themselves on the subject of ETs and ET contact. I've answered many questions from people all over the world and in turn I have asked many questions of the ETs. Over the years I kept ET and I, I kept an occasional eye on the field of ufology or what you might think of as alienology. I watched the moors, so to speak, and was astounded at the crap that continued to be peddled on the subject of ETs. I could not believe that people could be so naive and so stupid, nor that people could create and swallow such nonsense. For a long time I put a lot of effort into my blog, but it never really gained much attention. Certainly I don't think my voice was ever really heard amongst the uh, discussion on the subject. Uh, on the 23rd of July 2021, I left ET&I, and for a while I left the internet altogether, and I thought I may even pull the plug on the blog so it was entirely unavailable. Uh, but I left it there. Uh, for what reason, I'm not sure. I was so sick of the stupidity that I just had enough and decided that until such time as my ET-related books were published, I wanted nothing to do with the field at all nothing to do with sharing my experiences. During this time, the COVID fear took over the world and my ET relationships continued to develop. I spent more and more time off-world while simultaneously taking a long break from my ET books so that I could spend more time working on my fiction and attending to my health. I eventually returned on the 18th of April 2023 with no real intention of doing much with the blog. Uh, meanwhile, humanity continued to grow fascinated by the subject of ETs and the crap continued to accumulate. Stephen Greer's initiated disclosures continued to occur, culminating in the proposed UAP Disclosure Act. And I will acknowledge that Stephen, in, in this case, I think we can say that Stephen really kicked this whole thing off and there wouldn't have been an attempt at a UAP Disclosure Act without Stephen's efforts. As I watched the antics uh, around the subject of disclosure, I couldn't and I still can't understand why the fascination and obsession with so-called disclosure and why the hell people don't try and learn about ET contact for themselves. It takes less effort and is far more rewarding than getting involved with the disclosure subject, period. Soon after returning, I decided to try a different approach to sharing, and this podcast is the result of that decision. I've created this podcast, I guess, for myself and for the general public. Regarding myself, there were two main reasons I did this. First, I felt a burning need to express the truths that I know and in so doing offer an antidote to the world. Second, I wanted to create a new body of work that I could be satisfied and fulfilled with. Regarding doing it for the general public, part of the reason I wanted to offer an antidote to the stupidity the nonsense and corruption of this subject is because there are people who genuinely want to know the truth and because, most importantly, the way, the way that many people are reacting to this subject is holding us as a species back from our potential development as a spacefaring people. 
And I don't want to see that. If in some small way I can create positive ripples that go out into space through what we would think of as time, I'll be deeply satisfied that I have done the right thing. So in a way, acting on my convictions is what I'm doing, creating my own little disclosure project that I believe will plant seeds of goodness and clarity that will germinate and blossom in the fullness of time. Some of my old readers and listeners will recall me telling you that I was told by a particular ET that we have about 1,600 years until we become a fully-fledged spacefaring people, one who can actively and frequently enter and leave our own solar system. That basically translates to us having to grow up in 64 generations. So this podcast is my way of helping the human species to grow up. I originally chose the name ETNI for my blog because I wanted to convey something about the relationships that occur between ETs and humans, the self and the other. Way back in the late 80s and 90s, I used to think of the ETs as the other because I did not know what they were. So there's a duality in the name that recognises that there are two of us, the ETs and the humans. But equally, I could have called it the one. Um, I could have called it the one or I could have called it the one and the many, which is the name I have for a smaller book I'm writing. Because what I've really been trying to talk about, trying to convey, is that there is only one. One indivisible whole. A whole that we experience in parts, or in objects, in others. But there really is only one. So when I talk about ETs, I'm not going to talk about ETs in a way that portrays them as the hostile other. They are us, and we are them. Not in the sense of them being future humans or any of those other stupid ideas, but in a sense that we are all the one. The ET I publicly refer to as Dude of the Nelson people, more about him later, talks about essence in preference to oneness. He says uh, the ETs, or his people in particular, recognise the essence in every being. And the essence is that part which is different and unique, and that part which is the same and common to all beings. And the essence in its totality is something that is largely overlooked in the field of ufology, alienology, with an emphasis on difference and hostility and threat. So what I'm trying to do is offer an antidote to that kind of rubbish by helping you to see a bigger picture, one that is based on the inseparable whole in which life nurtures life. So what am I offering in this podcast and what can you expect? Well, first expect the unexpected. And I can't tell you what that is, but there will be things that I will throw in unexpectedly, either things that I figure out beforehand or things that come to my mind at the time. I'm also not going to play to well-established myths, tropes, trends, beliefs and distortions of reality. I'm going to offer a broad range of subjects related to the subject of ETs and generally speaking these include the following. 
models of the cosmos, myths, and, and that is myths related to the ET subject, the nature of ETs, ET craft, ET human relationships, ET contact experiences, information related to the ET I publicly call dude, and other ETs. Information about my experiences with a group that refer to themselves as the beloved carers. Knowledge about covert power and covert power concealing knowledge of ETs. Miscellaneous subjects. And of course, my own experiences in depth. And I want to say something uh, at some point about how I've been changed by my experiences and how my view of Earth, the universe and the cosmos has been changed by what I've seen and experienced. I'll only talk about some of my experiences later on. There's a whole bunch of experiences that I wish to keep to myself and there's a whole bunch of experiences that I still don't understand myself. I'll devote more time to certain subjects than others and emphasise things I believe people need to know about. There are many things I won't be discussing because for one or more reasons I really do feel that they're personal people don't have a right to know. So, uh, before going any further, what I'd like to do is maybe give you a very brief uh, dramatis personae. Over the course of this podcast, uh, you will hear about many different individuals and races of ETs. So here is a very brief sketch of some of them, and I will keep most of the information general when I come to particular uh, beings later on in the show. I will talk in more detail. When I come to particular experiences, I will talk uh, in more detail. So let's start with the humans you'll hear about. Uh, Rachel Bree is my ex-wife. Rachel worked with Earth-based ETs in a particular role and in multiple other roles in a covert project, uh, mostly based in England, up into her late 20s when she left. And when she left in the late 80s, early 90s, depending on which role you look at, there were 63 known ET races two-thirds of which were humanoid. I think that's an interesting contrast to Clifford Stone, who talked about 57 known races when he left. I think that might have been the mid-80s. Uh, Rachel is lifelong friends with the ET that I refer to as Dude, who she met at age four, and who she often worked with in her covert work. She's had lifelong uh, contact experiences and relationships with the ETs. And Rachel, unlike myself, has no interest in the subject. She couldn't care less about what is happening in the field. She couldn't care less about sharing. She doesn't ever raise the subject by herself. And she is really kind of reluctant to talk about the subject. Tara is my 25-year-old son. Tara's had many interactions with ET since he was an infant. But uh, an unusual thing has happened. The older he gets, the more inclined he has been to dismiss his experiences. And I think that's a combination of uh, 
growing adult cynicism and being distracted by electronics. He has a Bachelor of IT and uh, spends a lot of time on the computer around devices. And I think those two things have contributed to that change. But I think it may come full circle in time. So now on to the ETs. So I've mentioned Dude a number of times now. Uh, just to let you know that Dude has a real name, of course, and uh, he has a name that he uses on Earth that he uses with Rachel and myself and with other humans. And when I started thinking about talking about Dude, I, I didn't want to use his real name because... He's her friend, he's Rachel's friend, and uh, Rachel is his friend. And I felt that to use his name was to kind of sully that intimacy that she had, and she didn't want to hear the name of her good friend sort of belted here, there, and everywhere by strangers, people that would never know him. So I had been having a conversation once with him and I can't remember the exact context, but I said something to him like, oh, come on, dude. And uh, he made me laugh. He said something, made me laugh. And then later on when I was thinking about what am I going to call him, the name dude popped into my head and I thought, well, that's perfectly appropriate. So dude it is. And uh, never shall his real name be shared. I will, however, share the names of many other ETs, but not Dude and, uh, and not another who you'll learn about shortly. So Dude is an Earth-based ET of the Nelsa race from the planet Nelsi 35 which is in a distant galaxy beyond, beyond what we have mapped, beyond what we have seen. Dude belongs to a group of nine ETs that oversee the welfare of Earth. He's colloquially referred to as number two, which he makes lots of jokes about. Number one, number two. Uh, I was introduced to Dude by Rachel a long time ago. Uh, Dude is approximately 8,600 years old. He arrived here in 1253 BC and his people have been here for over 3 billion years. I guess you'd say he was lime green in colour, roughly about 4 foot. I can't remember the exact details. You know, when you, when you meet and build relationships with so many entities, you start to lose track of details. It's like all the people, you know, you don't think to yourself, Cousin Joe is six foot two and a half. Uh, my wife is five foot seven. Uh, my brother is five foot eight and a half. Uh, the stranger I met this morning is five foot two. The person I go to work with every day is five foot six and a half. You know, we don't think about those kind of details. And, and I tend to forget. What I can tell you is that dude comes up to my nipple and I'm six, two and a half. So, uh, that's about four foot. As well as his lime green skin, which is a very spongy kind of skin, he has vibrant green and gold eyes. So I suppose I'd say Dude is my very good friend and confidant and teacher and protector. He's certainly done things to protect uh, myself and my son and Rachel. And 
even this, this land, keep us from harm that would otherwise have come. So a little bit more about uh, dudes people later on. So number one, number one, or Elial, as he's uh, known by some of the ETs and humans, heads the structure I have referred to as the architecture. He's a human from, I call him a human ET, but he's actually a human from a previous human civilization that lived on Earth. And they up and went and went into space and uh, colonized other worlds. And in his current role, which he's been in for about 300 years, he oversees a very vast area in terms of maintaining the welfare of that area. And so he is called uh, number one. Now, his people are very long-lived, uh, and he's approximately 180,000 years old. Uh, he was born in what is today known as the area of northern Turkey. Anamika is the public name I use for another ET that I'm very close to. I guess you would say that there is a very small handful of ETs I'm very close to, uh, one group being the beloved carers and the other being Dude and Anamika. So Anamika is um, obviously the public name for female of the Tealhia race. And um, when I was thinking about what name to use for, for her, she suggested Anamika. I didn't know what that name meant. And later on I discovered apparently it means a lady with no name. So I thought that was interesting that she would give me that name. She belongs to a group of Telia that I met in 2011 who identified themselves at that time as the Beloveds, which is a different group to the Beloved Carers. On uh, January 19th, 2011, I had a very profound um, on-board experience, on-ground and on-board experience with the Tilhia and the Sawandi and uh, Anamika. It's part of that group. Now, this might be a, a departure from what most people are familiar with hearing, but I'll say it anyway. Anamika was one of the beings that participated in the original creation of my soul, and will be part of my existence until I merge completely with the one, surrendering all individuality. I guess you'd say she is a friend, confidant, teacher and protector. She's also the ET I met in my bedroom in 1997, and uh, one of the ETs that took me to merge with the light in 2011. If you haven't ever heard me talk about that experience, I have several videos on YouTube on that. Also, she was in contact, uh, as were numerous other Telia and ETs, with um, one of my guides called Karnatek, who lived in China 3,000 plus years ago. In 2011, I thought that perhaps when I learned this, that she was... Uh, 3,000 plus years old. In fact, she is much, much older than that, but she was simply able to go back to that time. I didn't fully understand that then. 
So now on to the Beloveds. The Beloveds are a group of 25 Telia, as I said earlier, who visited me on the 19th of January 2011, who are interested in my welfare and the welfare of Earth and the welfare of uh, many beings on Earth. Now the Beloved Carers. Uh, the Beloved Carers are a group of eight ETs representing five races who I consider to be my carers and teachers. Now this was a term that they introduced themselves to me as the Beloved Carers. I first met them uh, in a co-created internal world and mostly I meet them in that world. Uh, and from there, sometimes they take me to another physical world. But now and then they meet me in this physical world, such as on the 4th of January 2016, when they came in a large craft and met me in my neighbour's paddock. I was drawn out in the morning for some reason in my dressing gown and uh, had a compulsion to go out and, and it occurred there. Anyway, there's a video on that experience on YouTube. So now what I might do is uh, hone in a little bit on some of the individual races and I'm going to just kind of give you a rough sketch of each of them. In 2011 when I'd had the experience with the Tilia and the Sawandi, I had some sense of how many ET races I'd had contact with but they confirmed that I'd had contact with about 30, maybe a little over 30 races at that stage. And uh, since then, that number has gone up to over 100 different races. And you may be wondering, uh, at, you know, how can a person possibly have met uh, 100 ET races when most people haven't met one? Well, it's very simple. And you need to just think about our world to really understand this. If you walk around um, a city uh, in most countries, you will see people of different nationalities. And so uh, I'm an Australian, I live in Victoria, Melbourne is the capital of our, city, of our uh, state. If I go to Melbourne, I'm likely to see people from 30 or 40 different nations, at least. So in a similar way, uh, when you go on board a craft, there are communities of ETs. It might be a Telia craft, or it might be a Sawandi craft or a Nelsa craft, but they, there will be other ETs from other races on that craft. Now, sometimes you will only see one race. Like, typically when I've uh, been amongst the Tiarum, who I'll talk about after, I usually just see the Tiarum. But whenever I've gone with the Sawandi, for example, I see multiple races. And so when you have these different face-to-face -face experiences and you get to walk around a craft, you'll see all these other races. And so sometimes you get to talk and interact with those other races. Now, in addition to that, since going off-world and, and being taken to uh, Nelci 35, uh, that is a, a world where people from other worlds have been coming and going for billions of years. And so even though I spend most of my time among dude's family, sometimes I spend time uh, in other places on the planet that are much busier. 
and there are many different races there. And often when I've gone in Dude's craft, Dude has a very large craft, often used for, not often, always used for diplomatic work. There are sometimes hundreds of different races on that craft. Now, I may not see them all, um, but there are many that I have spoken to. So that number is well over 100. Um, I couldn't exactly tell you the number. I would have to consult with Dude on that, but I know it's well over 100. So what I'm going to do now is just talk about seven races. Uh, and I suppose, in a sense, these are the races that I have the most contact with. There's probably two races I've left off this list, but this will give you some sense of who they are. So I want to start with the teal here. And back in 1997, I used to refer, uh, Rachel used to refer to the teal here as the brownies. It was kind of like a, a bit of a... Uh, a bit of a joke, uh, a bit of a colloquialism. Um, we called them the brownies, and it sort of sounded a little bit, uh, bit comical the way we would use it. And we could talk about the brownies in public, and nobody would, would have a clue what we were talking about. Now, back then, Rachel was more willing to talk about ETs and the ET subject provided we could talk in this language that to other people didn't sound like ETs, aliens. So we called them the brownies, but the other reason that we called them the brownies was they have a golden yellow skin colour and in the dark it looks very brown. So the Telia, they inhabit multiple universes those that are nearest to us inhabit multiple galaxies in what we would think of as the Andromeda system of galaxies. There are many different galaxies and there are 32 star systems they inhabit there. And what we call NGC 7681, which is a lenticellar galaxy in the Pegasus constellation. And I guess you'd say that the Telia belong to what I've called the creator races, and I'll talk at length about the creator races later on. But the Telia are one of the races that created us and that created our planet. So as I said, in appearance, they have this goldish kind of yellow look to them. They're very, very thin. They sometimes wear a cloak, but otherwise go naked. They have no hair. Um, they're between three and a half and four and a half feet, weigh between 15 and 25 kilograms. They have four fingers, slightly uh, larger uh, head than ours. I guess you'd say it's an arm um, sort of shaped head, roughly. They have um, beautiful, vibrant brown irises and no visible white cornea. And they have... Uh, 6 to 12, there's a lot of variability here, lines radiating out from a very dark pupil, and those lines can be lighter or darker. Yeah, so that's a rough introduction, at least to the physical aspect of the telia. So the Nelsa are the people that I probably know best. Uh, the Nelsa are from a distant galaxy beyond anything that we've seen, recorded, measured. 
I could show you exactly where it is, but I'll tell you just vaguely it can be found um, by tracing a line between Alpha uh, Crucis, Alpha Crux, and Sirius. And it's roughly halfway. Uh, that they come from a planet, as I said, uh, Nelci 35, and the I, it's spelled N A E L S, capital I 35. The I and the 35 are not I or 35 as, as a number as we know it, these are the nearest approximations. So all of the letters in the name are, are approximations. So they inhabit many different universes, and uh, LCI-35 is, is their home world. They're between four and four and a half feet, weigh less than 25 kilograms, once again very thin. In a sense, they're closest to the Telia. They have beautiful green and gold eyes, very vibrant, and no visible cornea. And I suppose uh, one of the subjects I'll tackle later on is this, this notion of the greys, the so-called greys, which is a real myth. But what I want to suggest is that there are some smaller humanoid ETs, such as the Telia and the Nelsa, that would basically be considered greys. But they're not grey. They're green and they're yellow. Uh, in terms of skin colour, and I'll say something else later on uh, in another episode about why I totally dislike the term greys. So these are what you would consider greys. So the Sawandi are completely different again. They inhabit multiple universe. The closest uh, homes to us are in the Andromeda 11 galaxy, where they occupy 64 star systems. Uh, sorry, also the Milky Way galaxy, there are two star systems here. And also NGC 2487, which is a spiral galaxy in the Gemini constellation. There are 18 uh, star systems that they occupy there. Now, there are two groups of Sawandi that I know of. One group is 14 to 15 foot tall, and they're the ones that I've had the most contact with. And there's another group that are 10 to 11 foot tall, and I know that this is one of the groups that work on Earth, in England in particular. They're an ashy white colour, and they have very long neck, very large eyes, and they have this beautiful lapis lazuli kind of coloured uh, blue iris with these uh, lighter blue streaks radiating outwards and these gold threads that are woven into the eyes. And they have um, five fingers that are approximately equal in length. The Salin is the next group I want to say something about. They are from a completely different universe. They call it their galaxy the Taha galaxy, and, and they come from three different star systems there. They are five to six foot tall and have wide, uh, I guess you'd say triangular melon-shaped heads. Uh, it's very interesting. Uh, many years ago I was talking to Christine Dennett, Preston's sister-in-law, and um, 
she does different art related to ETs and I think I had mentioned something to her about them and she sent me a picture that somebody else had done and, and it was identical, identical to the beings that I know. So perhaps you can ask uh, Christine whether or not she can show you that image. I have some images also, very, very basic sketches on my blog of the Salem. And what's unique about their appearance is they have two different coloured eyes, a left one that's red and a right one that's blue. And uh, let's just say it's a cat-like iris. They have uh, three fingers and four toes. All right, now I want to tell you about what for me is the most unusual race that I know and that I have relationships with, and that is the Tiarum. And the Tiarum are from also from a different universe. They're between four and seven foot tall. And uh, how to describe it? I guess you'd say they have a, a yellowish kind of pinkish skin colour, sort of mottled with a lot of variation. They're very insectoid looking. If you had to describe an insectoid being, these would be it. I, I don't believe in the whole mantid concept. I think what some people may be confusing them with is the tiarum. They have three claws, what you'd think of as claws, and four fingers, and, and what looks like a double joint at the wrist. It's very confronting when you first see it because it's so unusual. And they have two different coloured eyes. The left one is small and it's sort of brownish and green. And the right one is about one and a half times bigger. It's cat-like um, with a vertical yellow iris. And they have these remarkable eyes in the way they've described it to me. This is a trait just like with the Salon that was engineered into them. It didn't develop naturally. They engineered it into them. And so the way it works for the tiarum is they're able to see into other, um, how did they put it? Yeah, I can't remember the way they put it. But they're able to see into other realities with, I won't, won't tell you which eye it is, with one of the eyes. One of the eyes is attuned to this particular reality and the other eye is attuned to particular energies in other realities. So they're able to perceive multiple realities at once. Another unusual race, uh, who I've always had trouble saying their name of, so I, I don't expect anybody to ever be able to repeat it because it's very difficult when I hear them say it to try and repeat it myself. But it's essentially said, uh, Nalpno, an N-A-L, P-N-T-O, no, no. But we called them the Hoofy Foots. That, that was our nickname for many years, Rachel and I. So they come from a solar system that's actually very close to ours that we have not yet discovered, and I believe that it's obscured somehow. Why we haven't seen it, I don't know. We, we should be able to see it in our night sky, see their star, but we can't, and I'm not sure why. So they're about three to four foot high. They have a greeny grey, sometimes even a yellowish skin, lots and lots of mottling and patterning in different places. I haven't really talked about that with the other races, but many of them have that. They have uh, three fingers and two toes, and the fingers have like a, uh, a 
frog-like kind of sucker or pad at the end. It's not really a sucker, it's more a pad. And they have this copious uh, wiry hair on the head. And I guess they're um, less than 20 kilos, also very thin. And what's really unusual about them when you see them is they have this forward-leaning gait and it's almost like a reverse kangaroo, reverse kangaroo legs. It's very... Uh, it's very difficult to get your head around and there's a lot of flexibility in, in that movement and they can stretch themselves up quite high as well. And so finally, the last race I want to talk about is a race that uh, I think of as a human ET race and I'll, I'll touch on the idea of human ETs later on and, and some of you may be saying, hang on, he's lost me now. There can't be human ETs. Every life form evolves to the specific conditions of their own planet and turns out completely differently. Well, I used to think that for many, many years too, but it turns out for different reasons that there are human-like ETs. So these beings call themselves the Shilarian, and I'll just keep the description very simple. They come from the Aldebaran star system. They're between six to seven foot tall. Um, they look much like us, but they have very refined and very elegant uh, features. You, you would say they're very beautiful looking, very gentle, very well spoken. So, that's just a very rough, very basic introduction to who's who in my experiences. Much of what I'm going to be sharing with you over the next couple of years will be focused on Dude and his people, the Nelsa. Anamika and the Beloveds and their people, the Telia, and the various individuals from the five races in the Beloved Carers, uh, including people from the Sawandi and the Salem. A large portion of what I want to discuss is knowledge I gained from the ETs, particularly my ET friends, um, Dude and the Beloved Carers and Anamika. And the remainder of what I want to discuss, which might end up being about 40% of the episodes, uh, will be related to the various different experiences I've had uh, on-world and off-world, whether that's on craft or on other worlds or on Nelci 35, which is the place I'm most familiar with and the various different relationships I've developed with different ETs. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode and perhaps learned a thing or two. The next two episodes will be completely free. After that, each episode will be split in half with the full episode available uh, to patrons of the show. If you want to become a patron, you can do so for $12 a month. I'll uh, probably create a new show every three to four weeks, and who knows, perhaps some months I may even post as many as three or four shows. Now, the reason that I'm looking for patrons to keep this going and, and looking to turn this into a paid podcast is because up to now I've given a lot away. I've given a lot of myself to this subject. I've given up a lot of my life. I've answered countless inquiries from people, countless questions. 
I've helped to educate people. I've, I've done it because I wanted to do it. I only ever asked for money when I was struggling financially, uh, particularly around looking at treatments for my, uh, my tumours. But basically I, I gave away as much as I could and there's still a lot that, that I'm giving away for nothing on my blog and, and through the TSMs. So I figured if I'm going to put all of this hard effort into doing this that I needed to recoup something. So other than that, you'll get uh, half a show for free. If you'd like to learn more about some of the things I've discussed today, head to the ETNI blog. That's etni.wordpress.com. Or you can see my YouTube channel where I still have a few videos up. I think I took most of them down. And those videos are mostly about uh, just a handful of experiences that I've had. So coming up in the next episode, an overview of a lifetime of experiences and relationships with ETs. Somehow I have to condense all of that into one episode. Later down the track, I'll, as I said, I'll be unpacking various different experiences in much greater detail. And after that particular episode, I'll have an eight-part series on models of the cosmos. What I'd like to do, I guess, before returning to talking about my experiences, is to provide you with a foundation for understanding ETs based largely on the knowledge that has come firsthand from the ETs. So that's it for today. Thanks very much for listening, wherever you are on this beautiful planet of ours. Have a wonderful day of human life. Cowabunga, people of Earth. I'm Bright Garlic. Thank you.